And we're going to read today verses 19 to 30. We're working fairly slowly through John chapter 5. Um, and really the stuff we're looking at today, just as I read it, I think you'll see it's, it's pretty dense. It's pretty complicated. But that is because God doesn't treat us like fools. He doesn't treat us as if we're stupid and give us a little picture book and say, here you go, just pick some baby things to know. He really wants us to understand deep and important and profound things. So he tells us them. So yeah, this is going to stretch us, but that's okay. And if you're very, very new to church and very, very new to discovering about Jesus, some of the things we look at today will be really pretty puzzling to you. That's okay. Discover it. Ask the questions. Find out more. Because God has big things to show us, not just superficial. So with uh, John chapter 5 open in front of us, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read together. Let's pray. Father, please help us now. Thank you that you speak in a way that we can understand, but you speak deep and profound things. And so we ask that the very same Holy Spirit who inspired this word would now grant us understanding. We cannot understand this on our own. Please, Father, would you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the start of John chapter 5, Jesus has healed a man by the pool. He's been paralysed for 38 years. And Jesus says to him, get up and walk. The man immediately gets up and walks out in full view. He does it on the Sabbath. And that upsets the religious leaders because they don't like work being done on the Sabbath. In fact, they think it's breaking the law. And Jesus is now answering the religious leaders. He is defending himself to the religious leaders. Except his defence doesn't go... Oh, sorry, didn't mean to, it was an accident. Instead, his defence goes, yeah, I work on the Sabbath because God, my Father, works on the Sabbath, and me and him, well, we're sort of one. <laughs> and the religious leaders, that's worse than just breaking the Sabbath. And that's where we're up to, so now let's go from verse 19. We began to look at this last week, but we're going to push on through. Jesus gave this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he'll show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. But just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Who does not honour, and whoever does not honour the Son, does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. 
For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You see, this God doesn't treat us as fools this afternoon. God doesn't treat us as little children who can't understand. Instead, he tells us things that we need to know. And in particular, what we're going to look at this afternoon is delve more deeply into this relationship between the Father and the Son. Now, it's interesting because relationships are fascinating to us as human beings. So we can, you can have whole TV series about a family, like the Kardashians, where it's all about their relationship. I've never seen it. I'm assuming it's about their relationship. He says, quickly, backtracking. <laughs> ah. So you have a, a family, you watch their relationships and their relationships in the news, and the only thing they seem to be famous for is that. <laughs> That's it, right? And there are other relationships that we're interested in. So the other day, Brad Pitt ran into whatever her name is, Jennifer Aniston, and everyone was like, ooh! Apparently they had not in the past. And now they're ooh, so what's going to happen? And that relationship, everyone's analysing that relationship. We are obsessed with relationships. But let me tell you this. This relationship between the father and the son is of more significance and more importance, more beauty and more value than anything else. You see, the Kardashians or the celebrities might entertain us and they might amuse us, but here is a relationship that will save us. This is worth giving our time to. And it's in this relationship between the Father and the Son that we discover the most deep and profound truths about who we truly are. That's what we're doing this afternoon. You see, Jesus has got himself into hot water because he has been talking in a way that makes himself equal with God. So Jesus has spoken of himself in the same way that you would speak of God. And for a human being to claim equality with God is outrageous. And so the religious leaders come back at him and say, well, how can you be equal to God? Are you some sort of rival? And Jesus says, no, you need to understand that my equality with God is rooted in our relationship, which is father and son. And we saw last week the beauty of this relationship. The son does whatever the father does. The son does nothing on his own. He only does what the father does. That is the inseparable operation. That is the connection between father and son. They they work as one. And then when you begin to look at how the father treats the son, you discover that the father loves the son. Just stop for a second and think about it. Imagine you're Jesus. Not something I recommend often. Can you imagine Jesus saying, the Father loves the Son? Knowing that that is true. Knowing the approval and the delight of his Father, God in heaven. The Father loves the Son. 
And the Father entrusts works to the Son. And the Father shows the Son all he does. And the Father gives life. We'll get to that in a second. Um, that's complicated. And the Father gives authority to the Son. And so you have this relationship. A beautiful relationship. A relationship that is not perfectly symmetrical. The Son does not send the Father. The Father sends the Son. The Father never says, I can do nothing on my own, I can only do what I see my son doing. The Son says that. I can do nothing on my own, I can only do what my Father is doing. And so there is an order within this relationship. It's not that you just switch around. It's not that it doesn't really matter. It matters that there's a Father and a Son for all eternity. And so we're going to dig into now what we discover in particular about the work that the Father has entrusted to the Son, and we're going to understand that together. Now, just to back up, you're already lost, don't panic. <laughs> it's okay. You're not the only one. There's... You've got to keep remembering that the Bible tells us there's one God, one God who exists as Father and Son. Not two gods, Father and Son. One God, Father and Son, and Spirit. But as I keep saying, we'll get to him later. So let's now look closely. We're just going to work through the verses. I don't want to try and do anything clever. I just want to show you what it says and try and work through it together. And build up this understanding of what equality between the Father and the Son looks like. So we're going to focus really from verses 21. This is where we left off last week. We've learned that the Father loves the Son. He shows the Son all he does. But now we get two specific works that the Father gives and entrusts to the Son. So let me just read it for you. But just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Okay, hold those two things in your head. Here we go. This is the big point for today. This is what I want to see. The Son is equal to the Father as the light giver and the judge. Jesus picks on these two specific things and says, in these two ways, I am equal to the Father. Okay, let's take those two things. Light giver. I think it's a fairly... Um, fairly safe to assume that in Jesus' day, people knew that God was the giver of life. No one uh, was sort of thinking that life had sprung out of nothing. No one was thinking it was an accident. They understood that God gave life. That's where it comes from. He is the great life giver. And when God gives life, boy does he give life. Like proper life. Like not just a little bit of life, not an amoeba that lobs around for a few billion years and then eventually becomes something else. No, he <coughs> life. So he speaks and life comes. And there's rivers and trees and fruit and animals. Not just one sort of animal, but all sorts of animals. There's wombats. And it's Australian day. So I'm being culturally very thrilling. <laughs> There's life, right? I'm not sure one is the best explanation of life, actually. They don't seem very alive most of the time. But there's all sorts of life, things that bursting out 
there's beauty and there's colour and there's sound and there's noise. God's the life giver. Now, of course, it may just be that you have a view of life that your life is not something you've been given, it's just something that you happen to have. It may be that your worldview says that life is just kind of come into existence of, of itself. That there was a time and there was nothing, and then at some point there was a bang or something, and then there was life. And life has come out of nothing. Now, if that's your worldview, that is going to really shape the way you see things, right? It's going to shape the way you see life. If you think of life as a gift, then it's something that you say thank you for. It's something you say, what should I do with this thing I've been given? If I have an accident, well then, okay, well, whatever, you've got it, you're stuck with it, there's not much you can do about it. If you're having a happy life, I guess that's alright, but if your life sucks, that's pretty rubbish. And the Bible says over and over again, you are not an accident. You are not the random flashing of atoms. Neither are you some kind of spiritual being that comes out of nowhere. You were given life by the God life giver. That's how it works. And God is the one who gives life and he does it over and over again. He takes what is dead and he makes it alive. It's one of the things that marks God out. And it's one of the things that marks out those that are not gods, the idols. See, they can't give life. In fact, they're dead. So you make a little statue, here it is, you say, ooh, this is God. No, it's not, because it's dead, it can't do anything. The true God is the one who gives life. And so God is the one who's able to speak life where there was no life. That's stunning. In fact, there's a beautiful story about this in the Old Testament. Picture the scene with me. Some, some of you, many of you will know this. It's a hot day, very hot, and it's dusty. And as you walk through the valley, you see that lying all around you are bones. Dead bones, dry bones. It is a place where there is death. And in this valley, a, a man called Ezekiel comes, and he comes and he sees the death all around him. Now, the interesting thing about that story, the reason that story is important, is because what Ezekiel sees is a picture of spiritual death. That is, he sees a picture of a people who turned away from the God of life and are now dead. Living away from God, living in a place of death. And Ezekiel, this man, as he sees these bones, he turns to God and he says, can these bones live? What is, that's a weird question. And God says to him, Ezekiel, speak to the bones. Speak. And Ezekiel begins, begins to speak the word of God. And then there's noise. There's a rattle. 
and the bones begin to come together. And the head bone is connected to the neck bone. <laughs> and the neck bone is connected to the back bone. That's what that song is all about. That's why it says, hear the word of the Lord. Then bones, then bones, then dry bones. Then bones, then bones, then dry bones. Then bones, then bones, then dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Why? Because the only thing that can bring life to death is the word of God. The God who gives life, the God who made life in the first place, is the only one who can take what is dead and make it alive. Now the reality is that we live in a world that is full of death. We've turned away from the God of life and it's like we're in a valley of dry bones. And it is crystal clear that it is only God who is able to give life. So here comes Jesus. And Jesus says, verse 21, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to those who please the Come on, do you not see what he's saying? You know your stories, God who gives life to the dead, you know that. Jesus says, that's me. That's me. I speak with the same power as the God who created all things because I am his son. And so the equality of the Father and the Son is in the giving of life. And the Father has entrusted life giving to the Son. Well, let's look at the second thing. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So we keep looking at this beautiful relationship. The Father and Son, who both burst out in life. And now the Father, who is the rightful judge, that is, he has the right to say what is right and wrong. He has the right to punish and to condemn. He has the right to say what is good and bad. He is the judge. And he says to his Son, Son, I'm going to trust that work to you. And Jesus says, that's me. Jesus says, I am the one who has been entrusted with all judgment. I hope you can see that Jesus is saying some big things. I am the life giver and I'm the judge. Hold on, we thought God was the life giver and judge. Bingo. That's me. And it all rests in this father-son relationship. And why does the father do that? Why doesn't the father just give life and judge himself? Why does he give it to his son? What's going on there? Well, verse 21 tells us. Why would he do that? So that all may honour the son just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent. So remember, within the one God, there's the Father who loves his Son. He loves his Son. He loves his Son. And so he seeks his Son's honour. And so he trusts his Son with this work that all may honour the Son. The Father so loved the Son that he sent the Son into the world so that all might honour the Son. Because when you honour the Son, then you honour the Father.
Now at this point we might be going, whoa, man, this is all kind of stretching my brain. That's good. It's good to be stretched because we've been shown what God is truly like. We could never make this up. We could never dream this up. We could never think of God in this way. Whenever human beings think of God and they come up with their own gods, it's boring. You just get a God who sits in heaven and sometimes does stuff. That's not who God is. The true God who's shown himself is the God whose Father and Son he is in himself, love. It's what he's always been like, even before he created the world this relationship existed. That is why God is so staggeringly beautiful. And he's entrusted all of this to his Son. Okay, so the question now comes. We've seen that uh, point. The question now comes, well, when? When does the life-giving and the judging happen? Well, that's the next bit of the passage. So far we've seen the Father's given these two roles to the Son so that you would honour the Son and therefore honour the Father. If you refuse to honour the Son, then you are refusing to honour the Father. That's really clear, right? If I'm your boss, if I was your boss, and uh, and I said to you, um, I'm sending my son, I've, I've entrusted all the company to him, to him, I won't tell you which one of my sons I've entrusted it to, and uh, I entrust all of my things to my son, and uh, my son comes to you, and you refuse to let him into your office, and you refuse to listen to him, you are refusing to listen to me. Okay, it's an obvious one. So the Father and the Son are absolutely equal in this role of life-giving and judging. Okay, but when? Look at verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, here's the life-giving bit first, and then we'll do judging. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who here will live. The time is coming and has now come. So Jesus says, when is the life-giving time? Now. It's come. Jesus says, I've arrived as the great God who gives life. And he says, whoever hears my words and believes the one who sent me. See how the relationship you can't get away from it. will not be judged, but will have eternal life, crossed over from death to life. Here's the deal, right? When Jesus comes, he speaks with a voice that has the power to raise the dead. That has the power to bring life. That valley of dry bones that I tried to describe earlier, that is actually a very accurate picture of our world. Yes, we, we have physical life, I get that, okay? We're breathing, alright? I understand that. Our bodies are metabolising and doing all the things that life needs to happen. I don't even know how that's happening, but it's happening. For which I'm very grateful. But the Bible says that life is more than just physical life. You are more than just physical life. 
The Bible says you were created to live in relationship with God, and if we're away from him, then we're in a place of death. We're in a place of dry bones. By nature, we are dead when it comes to God. Can I say, that is why life so often feels frustrating? That is why life so often feels like, is this it? Is this really all I'm supposed to do? No, no it's not. It's not it. There's a whole heap more that you were created for. And in many places, in Ephesians chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, the, the Bible uses this language of you were dead in your sins. You were far away from God. You were like a valley of dry bones. You had no life, no spiritual life. And your physical life was fizzing out until you were dead. Okay, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus, the Son of God, sent by the Father into the world to speak, to preach to the dry bones. Live. 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 And as Jesus comes, his voice has the power to raise the dead. As you listen to him, as you understand who he is, as you believe the God who sent him, as you say, I need life, Jesus takes you from that place of death and he carries you to the place of life. You cross over from life to death to life. It is what Jesus is doing now. In just a few chapters, we're going to see Jesus walk up to a tomb and say, Lazarus, come out. It's ridiculous. Until he walks out. And Jesus has the power of life. And here's the tragedy. Many of us live in this valley of dry bones. Many people in London are living in this place of death and they think it's life. They think this is it. I'm having such a happy time. Life is great. Everything's wonderful in this valley of dry bones. And we rearrange these dry bones and have a bit more of a happy time. And we're living in this place and we've settled here and we think this is it and it's not. This is the place of death. This is why it hurts so much. And this is why we have to pretend we're okay when we're not. Because we're living in a place of death. And Jesus comes and he speaks the words of life. And he says, let let me speak life to you. And Jesus is able to do that. And he's able to do it now. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Have you been made alive by Jesus? I'm not asking are you breathing. I'm saying do you know the God who made you. I'm asking are you still living in the valley of dry bones? Are you still living in a place of death, pretending you're alive but knowing that you're not? Well, this afternoon, would you hear the voice of Jesus? He comes to you and he says your name and he says, come out. Live. And it happens now. And if you've heard his voice, then you have eternal life now. You are truly living now. You have relationship with God who made you now. You go have access to the fountain of life that we were singing of, talking about earlier. It's now that you can know him. 
Over here, there's no fear of God. Over here, there is no God. There is no God. I don't want anything to do with God. Over here, it's like, wow, God, your life and everything. And suddenly, life makes sense. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean we don't cry. But it means that we have life that will go on forever. Now, you may say, well, how on earth did Jesus do that? Right. You're all right. This is... Oh, man. This next bit is just a little bit complicated. Okay? But that's okay. If you're feeling tired, why don't you... Just, yeah, anyway, work. Look at verse 26. How is Jesus able to do this life-giving thing? How can you walk up to Lazarus' tomb and say, live? How can you walk up to someone who's spiritually dead and give them life? Well, look at verse 26. For, as the, life, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Okay, life in himself is sort of one word. Right, you've got to say that quite quickly. God has life in himself. Because it's one thing. And when we hear about life in himself, what that means is that God doesn't have life like I have life. God has life that is independent of anyone else. God has life in and of himself. He is life. He has life. He has no need of anyone outside of him. If you want a posh word for this, this is called the aseity of God. That is, God does not need anyone else. God does not depend on anyone else. He has life. I don't. My life is derived. My life comes from elsewhere. But God has life in himself. Self-sufficient, independent life. Okay, got that? So, the, now that the verse says, the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. Does that not slightly mess with your brain? Because if you're... If you're thinking, right, that is weird. And it's weird because if the definition of lack of himself is independence, underived life, how can the Son have life in himself if he's received it as a gift from the Father? We're all, yes, absolutely on this. See, if it just said... But as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life. Ha! Fine. No worries. Except that that would mean that the Son is no longer equal to God. Because the Son doesn't have life in himself. And to be God, you have to have life in himself. So that can't be the solution. It cannot be. And this is where, um, if you go down that route, you end up um, following a heresy called Arianism. So the vote for Arius, he thought that the Son was created by the Father. You got the Father, but then at some point he gave life to the Son. So what Jehovah's Witnesses believe today. But that's not what verse 26 says. It says the Father has life in himself and he's granted life in himself to his Son. How can that be? Okay, this is complicated, but this is how it works. Because God doesn't change, it is an eternal grant. That is the Father who has life in himself. Has 
granted that life in himself to his son, so that his son has the same independent life as the father does. And it is an eternal grant. The father hasn't just given him life, he's given him this sort of life, this quality of life, this power of life. And that is what is it's essential in order for the father and the son to be equal. They both have life in themselves. And that is why God is able to not just have life, but give life. And it is true that Jesus, therefore, not just has life, but is able to give life. So I have life, but I can't give it. I can't go to a, to a butcher shop and say to one of the chickens, Get up! <laughs> I haven't tried, but I'm assuming I, have, I can't do that. I, ha- I can't give life to anything. I can't raise things from the dead. I can't stay to a block of wood. I can't do that. God can. Because he's not just got life, he's got life in himself. He has the power of life. And he's granted that to his son so that the son has that same power because he's equal to God. And so right now, the father and the son are giving life to this world, to this dying world. He wants you to have life, and if none of that makes sense to you, just get this. He wants you to have life, and you have life as you come to Jesus. And here it was. But he's not just a life giver, he's also the judge. He's giving life now, and he's judging then. This is the last of the bit. Let's do this special. Um, from verse 24, uh, 28. So 27. 27. And he's given him authority to judge because he's the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Did you see this? That a time is coming. So there was a time coming that has now come, but this is a time that is coming. This is a time that's not yet come. This is a day that still awaits. A day that we would call judgment day. A day when God will put everything that is wrong right. And on that day, Jesus will be the one who speaks and all who have died will rise to be judged. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. That is not those who kept all the rules and being very good. We've already defined what good is. Good is to hear the voice of Jesus. Good is to believe in the one who God sent. Good is to accept the son that God sent. For those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear. And so Jesus right now is giving life to those who are dead, and one day he will stand as the judge of all humanity. Now it may be that your worldview says that your beginning was an accident, and your end is nothing. The Bible says differently. The Bible says your beginning was a God who breathed life into you, and your ending is the day when you will meet him, and he will ask you what you did with his son. One day we will meet him. One day we will see Jesus face to face. And I get that that's hard to believe. I get that in our culture where we're just constantly told when you're dead, you're dead. I get that it's hard to believe. But Jesus tells us this because it's true. And you want to know how I know it's true? 
it's because Jesus rose from the dead himself. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, I would not believe a word of this. But I am utterly convinced he went. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then one day he will be our judge. And for those of us who have heard his voice and who have believed in him, we will look into his face and we'll see our judge is the one who saved us. And we will fall into his arms and we will truly live. But for those of us who have refused to listen to his voice then, when we meet Jesus we will see that we were wrong and we have done the most terrible thing and we will be punished. Now I say this not to threaten us or to warn, not to kind of put pressure on us. I say it because Jesus said it. I say it because it's my job to tell you that Jesus wants to save you, not from them. So here you always, oh, we've run out of time completely. But let's, let's just see, so what? It means this, there's a voice that's stronger than death. The voice of Jesus is stronger than death. You don't need to fear death. Death is not the end. There's a voice that will carry you through death. Trust that voice, listen to that voice, love that voice, read about that voice, forget the Kardashians, listen to him. Get to know him. And it means there's a verdict that matters more than anyone. We spend all our lives trying to impress people, all our lives trying to impress the people who judge us, all our lives trying to impress our children. Our boss, trying to impress our friends, trying to impress people at church, trying to impress people all the time. And the only verdict that matters is the one that Jesus will pass when he sees you on that day. And you don't have to fear that because you already know what that verdict is. If you've heard his voice and believed him, you know that he's given you life. So this afternoon, here it is, father and son, in this relationship, Jesus is claiming equality to God as the life giver and the judge. Let's hear that voice. Let's love that voice. And let's ask him to give us life. Let's pray, and then we're going to uh, sing to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing truth that Jesus, you have given Jesus the authority to give life and the authority to judge. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given Jesus that power to take what is dead and make it alive. Lord Jesus, thank you that you went to a cross to die so that you could give us life. And we pray this afternoon that we would find life in you, the life we were made for, the life that truly is we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.